Hi, this is Leslie Norris Townsend, and I'm here to invite you to be a part of the Clean Comedy Challenge 2017 in Pasadena, California, and in Chicago, Illinois. This is our seventh year for this one-of-a-kind conference that includes three days of learning, writing, performing, and hanging with the pros in the comedy business. The Clean Comedy Challenge invites comedians of all levels for a chance to work on a real comedy stage with an added church venue at each location. Past attendees include Johnny W., Claiborne Cox, Marty Simpson, Andy Benango, Mike Paramore, Charlene May, and Todd Justice. So if you work clean or just want to work clean, go to www.cleancomedychallenge.com. When you register, make sure you mention the School of Laughs podcast so I know where you came from. Remember, there's no auditioning, limited space, early fee before May 1st. Come on, get on board the cleancomedychallenge.com train. Woo! Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by schooloflaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the School of Last podcast. Rick Roberts here, and I'm excited for today's episode with comedy legend Charlie Weiner. If you don't know Charlie, you should. Funny guy, insightful guy, and a guy who's been performing since the mid-60s in one way or the other. So let me tell you what. Newbies take note. Old guys like me take note. Lots of good nuggets dropped in this episode as uh, Charlie shares a lot of insight over his years as a road dog comedian, and he's still performing at a very high level, so that's pretty cool to see. Uh, Thanks to our sponsor, the Clean Comedy Challenge. You can go to cleancomedychallenge.com to find out more information about the different venues she has. And I'd like to thank our Patreon sponsor today, Bishop Donaldson, who not only supporting the podcast through Patreon, but he's one of my current online students and uh, has been entertaining me the past three to four weeks with his homework. Some very funny stuff from a very great storyteller and funny guy who's uh, tightening up his set uh, every single time he sends me stuff. He's got more more tight and getting the techniques down and it's really starting to pop. So thanks Bishop Donaldson for the Patreon support and thanks Clean Comedy Challenge for the podcast support as well. Hey, last chance for anybody that wants to join in the performance class in Nashville, April 10th, 17th, and 24th from 6 to 8 p.m. I have one slot left. If you're in this area and you want to take advantage of that, shoot me an email at schooloflass at gmail.com. And a quick shout-out, thank you to the Austin chapter of the National Speakers Association for bringing me in to share some ways to turn your funny into money using techniques that I teach here at the School of Last. We had a great time, good lunch, good fellowship, and a good networking down there in Austin, Texas. Very cool. Lastly, before we get into the episode today, if you live in any of these following cities, I might be able to meet up with you. Uh, Oklahoma City, Lincoln, Nebraska, Omaha, Nebraska, Kansas City, Grand Rapids, Cincinnati, or Louisville. I'll be in all those cities here in the next uh, two weeks, the last two weeks of April. So uh, if you're in one of those cities and you want to meet up, let me know and I'll see if I can make it 
it happen, at least maybe grab a coffee or a dessert or a quick meal somewhere in between uh, traveling to the gig and doing the gig. Uh, those are all private events, so I can't invite you out to the gig, but I'm going to be in those cities. If you listen to School of Laughs, let me know. Maybe we can meet up and uh, pick each other's brains and talk comedy. Might be fun. Might even do a podcast. How about that? All right, enough of my yapping. Let's get into this week's episode. Well, I'm here with Charlie Weiner. How's it going, sir? I am doing well. I'm still out there, still uh, still driving people nuts and still uh, ir- irritating the young. That's well, what I do. I was so excited to see uh, we're in Columbus, Ohio, getting ready to do a, a fundraiser at the Funny Bone, and then I saw the list of comics that were coming. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Charlie Weiner. When I first started out in 1991, you were already an established headliner pretty much, and I probably worked with you the first time like in 93 or something. And it seemed like it was Dayton, Ohio, or Springfield, Ohio, or something well, like that, like a Ramada Inn, or something that Sobel had lined up. Uh, there had, were a lot of them back then. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That was the nice thing, is that there were a lot of them back then. So. Yeah, and that's what... When did you actually start? What was your first year? Well, I first started performing in 1966. Wow. I was playing music in 66, and then I first really started doing comedy, adding comedy into my music show. Uh, about 72, maybe 73, where I would do like bits on stage or have funny songs and whatever else, all original kind of stuff. I never really got into the parody stuff. I got mostly, it was, I liked writing my own stuff. Right. And so uh, it started out really the first time uh, I was in a duo and the guy that was kind of the main guitar player broke a couple strings. I had to fill the time. Got it. And I just went off on this thing about, I put on a fake British accent and went on this thing about hunting tigers in India. <laughs> and uh, it just went on for like 15 minutes and it was just fun. I mean, and people were just roaring and it was just like, well, like, oh, this is much better. I like this a lot better. So I started adding more and more comedy into it. That is awesome. And then started working the, you know, more of the clubs as they were coming up in the, you know, like late 70s and early 80s. So. Yeah, so what, what were like the first few actual comedy clubs? I know they put comedy in all kinds of places when it first started. Oh but. my God, it was, well, I mean, we were, when, we were, when I was doing comedy in the 70s and stuff, you were just in bars. Right. You know, I mean, it was just, uh, you know, uh, but the nice thing was is that people, I think, were more accepting back then. They didn't, they didn't for music, they would accept the fact that you were playing music, but then you did comedy too. And so it wasn't like, when are you going to play another song? When are you going to play another, because they, they were entertained, they were having fun with it. Right, and uh, so the first clubs that I was working like Cleveland Comedy Club, you know, um, about a thousand years ago, and <laughs> I have no idea dates anymore. Yeah, yeah, you know. But I started doing that, and uh, and hilarities, and uh, then going out on the road doing the Sobel stuff, and you know, that was uh, kind of the first thing. It was just uh, working the road. I always thought it was funny because Sobel would never hire me, and then uh, I got hired to do a thing down here in Columbus. Uh, it was a a nooner thing at a uh-huh. mall. Oh, boy. Where, yeah, I mean, you're just playing while people are walking by in the food court. Right. And it was just awful. It was horrible. It's just, <laughs> right. just, you're just basically doing an hour of ignore. Yeah. You know, and I'm trying to do stuff and do bits and trying to get people and whatever else. And it was just absolutely the worst gig ever. And uh, it wasn't long after that. It was funny because it was long. And I'm like, I'm, this, this is apparently not for me or whatever. I got a call from Sobel and he booked me for a few weeks. And, uh, Years later, I was talking to Sobel. I said, what, what changed your mind as far as finally hiring me to come out and work the road? He goes, do you remember when you did the, the mall in Columbus? I said, yeah, it was like the worst gig ever. He goes, I was there. 
He goes, I stood there and I watched you work for the whole hour. And I thought, if he could do this, he can do anything I throw at him. <laughs> that's great. And so I was like, okay. So sometimes you get, that's why I always tell comics, you go, oh, it's a bad gig. I say, you still got to try to do, do your best. Right. Because really, I mean, it's the old thing of you don't know who's in the audience. You don't. You never know who's in the audience. And sometimes they're looking, you know, sometimes people go, well, if he could do this. Right. You know, and, and pull it out. Then by God, put him in front of a good audience. He'll probably just die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, you never know who's in the audience, and they could go either way. Right. Like he could have called you and said, "You know, I would have booked you three years earlier, but I saw you at that at that mall gig." <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> I remember having to do one of those uh, for a short period of time. I did uh, kid shows on the Saturdays, right, with music and improv and stuff, and they had me. I think it was in Davenport, Iowa, at the mall there. Mm-hmm. And like six or seven little kids kind of came up to where my feet were. And I was just trying to, I didn't have anything for them, really. Right. You know, I just was kind of doing what I was going to do on Saturday. And I remember this little girl, she's probably like eight or nine. She just looked up and she goes, Mr., I bet you want to use a bunch of big swear words right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> I'm like, well, you have a different comedy show at your house. I right. guess than what I'm doing. <laughs> Maybe you should come to the Saturday show. Yeah, you be the Saturday third show. Right. I'll let you well, open that's up. the show you want to come to. <laughs> Because that, that's, that's really going back. Because really, I can only think of like a couple clubs in the country more that still that do, do that. Three, three shows on a Saturday. I, mean, I remember we used to do three shows on a Friday and three shows on a Saturday. Yeah, and the and week would you, start on Tuesday. And start on Sunday Tuesday, finish, and then you'd have to do that Sunday show, which was always just the worst. It was tricky, although that became my favorite show because when they, when they decided to make those non-smoking, right. and, you know, different people came out. Right. You know, and uh, some of my jokes worked better with those folks, although, you know, I never had it to where I could do that third show Saturday and the Sunday show great. It was one or the other. One or the other, right. You know what I mean? But that first show Saturday, sometimes the second show Saturday, you're like, that's that's the whole reason I do comedy. Oh, yeah. For those people right there. Right, because that's, I mean... Friday shows, as we all know, I mean, you can have, I've, had, I've had great shows on Friday, but I've had, you know, but the thing is that Friday shows, people have worked all day, they've worked all week. Right. They didn't go home and take a nap. You know, they, they either, they went home, took a shower, and then they're going out to get something to eat. Now they're more tired, you yeah. know, so it's always pulling teeth on Fridays. Yeah. You know, it can be, that can be just, you know, Friday late shows are. Yeah. You, you do a lot of times where you do 60 minutes in 30 minutes. Right. Right. We haven't got those irritating laughs right. to, to, to stop you from keep going. It's going to keep plowing right through, and if, if it doesn't work, at least I can hear myself talking. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for not interrupting my, my conversation with myself right. by your stupid laughter, because that right. would just throw me off. I was wondering, when you started, you, you, know, you went from music to comedy, and you obviously had plenty of, of time on stage as a musician. Right. But w- did you have to go through the ranks in the comedy clubs, like from MC to feature, or did you, you kind know, of start in the feature and be I a headliner? Be honest, I started up. The first thing I ever did, um, the first, I, I, I think I worked three weeks as an opener, and uh, and that was it. You know, because I mean, really, I think the hardest part of comedy is to get used to being on stage. Mm-hmm. That's the hardest thing. Once you get comfortable on stage, then everything else, you know, then then you grow from there. But it's really hard getting comfortable on stage. But I'd already had you know, 15 years in right. before I started working like the really comedy rooms and stuff. And so you're, I, to me, being on stage is as natural as anything. So I was already comfortable on stage. So then I got bumped up to feature and I think I featured for, I don't know, three or four years and then I was headlining. So right. it was just, you know, I, I got to move quicker because I was more comfortable with it. Yeah, you Not had, that I was better or anything else. I just, you know, you're, you're comfortable. You know, you know what you're doing. Yeah, you had all those hours built in right. that played off to your... So that makes a difference. And did you start in Ohio? I started in Ohio, yeah. And then, 
some of the gigs early on that you remember that were like there's just oh, there's two or three different types of gigs but i want to get to all of them but oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, first tell me one of your first gigs where it blew your mind like i can't believe i'm getting to do this this is awesome things are going so good that the money's good whatever where you're just in a spot that you thought wow this is this is something else well I'll probably the thing was i had i had funny songs kind of thing and uh and but i wound up getting to open up for a lot of concerts because i had a couple hits kind of thing mm-hmm. and uh um, and so uh, there was one time I was opening for a show, and uh, there, it was uh, twenty thousand people. And uh, so the uh, I'm supposed to do forty five minutes to open the show. Well, they were doing a live broadcast of the the headlining act on the radio that night, so the time was very tight. Well, of course, rock and roll shows they're running late. Yeah, yeah. So they come up to me and they <laughs> goes, "Can you do thirty? I can do whatever you want. I don't really, you know, really, I'll do 30. Sure, that's fine. Comes up to me a little while later. He goes, can you do 25? I, I do whatever you want. I swear, it's, yeah. you know, <laughs> whatever you want. He comes walking up to me like the fourth time. He comes walking to me. I go, I'll do four songs and I'll get off. You know, I'll do four songs with the bits and then I'll get off. Guy goes, perfect. You know, but the funny thing was, so I did, I picked the four songs that people knew mm-hmm. and at one point, I, I had a, uh, one of the songs was a thing called the Marching Drug Song was just this it was like it was just this stupid little drugs 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 i had twenty thousand people singing oh wow and it was like you st- i just wanted to stop and go are you kidding me <laughs> this is like the coolest thing in the world that is cool you know so i, I mean but i've been I've, I've just been really lucky you know more than anything else it's not you know you know in this business it's it, it's not necessarily talent it's luck luck and perseverance and right. sometimes you you know for me it was i had to be too dumb to realize that i wasn't supposed to be doing some gigs right you know and i would well, take some stuff that would maybe stronger down the road but at the time i shouldn't shouldn't have been there at all right and there were a lot of times when you know I, i've been one it's like i never turn anything down you know it's like because it's always an experience if nothing else right you know and uh, people go how do you get through like you know these really bad gigs like i was in a bad marriage for eight years <laughs> I can I can put up with forty five minutes pretty much anything at this point, <laughs> right? You know, and the thing is, but you you learn to dance, you learn to you know, you learn to. You can't just stick to the script a lot of times, right? If you're in a bad show of for whatever reason, people could be tired, they could be drunk, they could be without you know whatever. Maybe they're just not buying what you're doing. I mean, I was, I was working down and it was either there used to be uh, two gigs done in Alabama. One was in Dothan, one was in Ozark, mm-hmm. and they were they were both in a Ramada. The room was exactly the same. They were 30 miles apart. So I never can remember which one it was. Sure. But I go in, and they, this place is packed. they got to have 300 people in the place. It's just packed. And I'm up there. Uh, I, I'm headlining. I'm 10 minutes into my show. And I said, I, I don't think I could have bought a laugh if I was handing out $100 bills begging right. people. And I finally stopped. I go, folks, we have a problem. I said, I swear we have a problem. I'm not, I'm not going to do this for an hour. We're not gonna. We're not gonna have this for an hour. We're not gonna sit and stare at each other for an hour. That's not working. I said. So somebody's gonna tell me what the problem is, and then we're gonna go on from there. So I stand back from the microphone, wait for somebody to say something. Nobody said anything. So I walk back up the microphone. I go, folks. One. Either we're gonna figure this out, or I'm. I'm just gonna leave. I said. I'm serious about this. I'm not gonna put up with this for an hour. I'm sorry. You know. And you right. don't want it for an hour. And I said, you see the guy sitting over there, the big guy sitting by the door? That's the owner of the club. I look over the owner, I go, here's what's going to happen. Either we're going to figure this out in the next minute or so, or I'll pay for my own hotel room. You don't owe me a nickel. I'm, we're not going to do this. Right. So I just walk, and so I say, okay, what's the problem? Finally, this guy sitting in the second row, stands up, real sheepish, got his hands in his pockets, 
He looks to the left. He looks to the right. Just to get, like see if everybody. You can see people go tell him, tell yeah, him yeah. or whatever. So finally, I go, "What is it? What?" He looks at me. and Goes, "You talk too fast." Oh. <laughs> I was like, "Really?" I saw three hundred people nod their heads. Yep. And I go, "Okay, fine." So I stepped back from the microphone, took a deep breath, slowed way down. I had a great show. That's I said the nice thing was I stood over by the door at the end of the show like I always do because that's what we were taught. And uh, I swear to God, everybody in the room walked up to me and shook my hand and said, we were so thankful you asked. Nobody's ever asked before. Right. They just went ahead and plowed ahead. Nobody ever stopped and asked what the problem was. And you're just going too fast. I was like, okay, fine. I said, I don't want a bad show. You don't want a bad show. We all want a good show. So let's figure it out. Let's do the good show. Right. You know? You know? And it always cracks me up when people go, well, you get paid the same for a bad show as a good show. Yeah, you do. What would you rather have? Right. And right. then, you know... You may not get paid for the next show, right? You if you're if you're okay with doing the bad show, right? <laughs> Constantly, right? I would rather I would rather talk to people and say, you know, we have a problem. Let's work it out. Let's get let's get whatever done we can get done. Yeah, you know, I've had so. some of those where same kind of deal where it's like, listen, we're just getting into this thing, and right. you know, usually about fifteen minutes, I can win over anybody. What's going right. on? And uh, same kind of deal, you know, it wasn't a bar gig. I think it was a corporate event, and yeah, it was for a bank. They had been robbed that afternoon. Now, the event planner didn't tell me that they had been robbed, oh. and somebody had been shot. Like, one of their employees had been shot. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is back in 1994 or so, here in Columbus. Wow. And so I said, oh, well, you know, it had one of my opening jokes was about a gun or something. I can't remember what it was right. about hunting. And that just set the tone. They thought I was going to be talking about guns. They were on right. eggshells. And then after they told me that, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, nothing, nothing I'm going to say is about right. that the rest of the show. So. <laughs> I'm sure they would want us to laugh, and the party was planned right. already, and you know, this, and then finally it went okay. But right. um, then there was the other bank show I did here. There's a lot of banks here, and uh, nobody told me. Like I was 23 or something. It was like one of my little first corporate right. gigs. I did not know a mortgage from a loan from whatever. So I was making jokes about banks, but all these mortgage brokers for, from the four banks I was making fun of. Oh. And so, like my first four jokes, I, I eliminated all the room. Oh, you're right. And after I started to get into my joke, after that, somebody walked up to the microphone. They took it, said, "You're done." And I came back to the funny bone to get paid. And he's like, oh, "You should, you should still be there. Right? <laughs> Why are you here?" I'm well. like, "Oh, I, I didn't know the diff. I didn't know what a loan was from a mortgage. And you know, right? So he goes, "Well, you learned." He goes, Here's "Right. Your check. Well, that's the idea. You learn from everything." Yeah. And I said a lot of times, but I, I'm I'm a great believer that you learn more from a bad show. Than you'll ever learn from a good show. A good show, you just you're flying. Right. I mean, I I will always tear every show apart. I I, I don't care how good, how bad. Whatever, I will then tear it apart and think of what I could have done to make it better. Yeah, it's just the way I work. I've just I've never been happy with a show. I hopefully never will be happy with a show because I think I hear these guys. You see people on Facebook like, man, I killed last night. I slayed. I just crushed the room. I just really, really. I know. I always say, unless you got a standing ovation, you didn't kill. And even if I got, you know, and I I swear. <laughs> I was looking at Toledo one time, and my wife was actually at the show. And it was a Friday first show. And normally, you know, that's, you know, it could be an okay show. Yeah. But for whatever reason, because the stars were in a line, again, I take no credit for this. But it was one of those nights where everything you said was golden. Mm -hmm. Everything you said was just, just for whatever reason, they just were going with it. To the point, halfway through the show, I go, you got to stop laughing so much. I got a lot of material to do. We <laughs> yeah. have another show to do. I said, you got to stop. You know, just, just let me do my material, right. you know. And they just laughed harder. You know, I mean, it's just one of those shows. I finish up the show. I get literally like a, like a seven-minute standing ovation. I have to go back out and do an encore. I don't do encores. Right. So I go up and do it. And uh, so I'm walking in, I'm walking in the back, and my wife's standing there. 
And she looks at me, and she's got her arms crossed. She's standing against the wall. And she goes, oh, my God. She goes, I've never seen you do like that before. I mean, it was just, that was just unbelievable. That was just, you know, it was just the most phenomenal show I have ever seen in my life. I looked at her, and I went, you know, she goes, don't even start. <laughs> I was like, okay. Because <laughs> she knew I was going to tear it apart. Yeah. Because I think you can always do better. I always think, you know, it's like if you, then if you she stop saw the- trying to make it better, you stop trying. Right, right. And I think you should always try to make it better. There's yeah. always something you could have done a little different that would have made would have made it better. Yeah. I find, too, a lot of times it's it's taking things out to, mm-hmm. like, to make it better. Like, if you've got, if you, if your whole show, our straight to front to the end is, is solid, 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 there's probably places where you could say less and get, right. get more of a reaction or, or, or make it a more enjoyable pace for the crowd sometimes. Right. You right. Know. Sometimes, right. You see, that's my problem. Sometimes I'm trying to jam too much into this period of time, mm-hmm. and it took me a long time to realize. No, drop some stuff. Right. Make it more comfortable, and they don't get to hear everything or whatever. But it, but it makes for a much better show. Yeah. Not everything I come up with is golden. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a genius. I am not. You know, I'm not whoever. And not everything you know you yeah. see or everything you think of is not doesn't always work yeah and sometimes it is true like you gotta it's it's good to give up your golden bits for a while too yeah. you know let those things because those tend to be longer two or three four minute pieces sometimes longer than that right and if you keep that in there for years and years and years then that's four or five minutes that'll never get swapped out right you let it rest for a little while bring something new in and get it to that point and then then you've got two things you can right well that's that's the thing is that i it is, if i'm not writing what i'll do is i'll i'll start either moving things around find some old things I haven't done in a while, drop some stuff that I have done for a while, just to shake everything up, just to get your brain working again. Right. You know, because I think we get lazy. I mean, you can get lazy in this business. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know. at, the, at some point, every comic goes through it where you're kind of coasting for a little bit. But right. then when, what happens when you coast is somebody goes flying right by you, like, okay, oh, yeah. there's no coasting in comedy. No. You've got to keep the pedal to the metal. That's, that's why I love working with, like, young, fresh comics, because it, 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 it really it gets the blood flowing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I want to work with the best that you have because it makes you better. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want somebody that I know is going to eat it in front of me. I want somebody I know that's going to kill in front of me because then I'm pacing and I'm ready and I'm, you know, I'm, the juices are flowing and you're ready to go. Right. And it's like, you're okay, drop that bit, drop that bit, do this bit instead. You know, and it's like, you're constantly changing. You're, you know, I can't walk up with a list. I know a lot of guys use set lists. I, I have no use for them because it's like either no material or you don't. And, I'm changing my show constantly before the show. Right. And a lot of times changing it during the show. Because I'm not thinking about what I'm doing. People don't realize, I don't think people do realize, I, 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 I assume most comics are like that, is I'm not thinking about what I'm doing right now. Right. My brain is five minutes ahead, 10 minutes ahead, 20 minutes ahead, or I'm already driving home or whatever. I mean, yeah. it's like, so you, the last thing I'm thinking about is what I'm doing at this point. You know, and so it's like I'm always like, okay, well, if this is if this is getting like this kind of a reaction, well, I have this bit coming up 20 minutes from now that I, I don't think I want to do now. Right. Oh, I'm, I'm substitute something else. Yeah. You know, so you're always I, I I don't want it to be the same. I want to you know I want you to I I said comedy is like standing on the edge on the ledge of a, a of a hundred story building, and your toes are hanging over the edge. Now you have two choices: you can back up a little bit, or you can move your feet out a little bit further over the edge. I've always been a great believer that I want to move my feet a little further out over the edge. Because that's the fun of it, the, the terror. Right. 
All That's the, the beauty of new bits. All the fruit is at the <clears> end of the limb. Right. That's what I always say, you know. You can hang on that trunk all you want and be safe, but all the good juicy stuff's right. way out there. Every once in a while, something falls, and you just walk by and pick it up. But when you those climb are, out those there, are get, the <laughs> yeah, those are the gifts. Yeah, <laughs> You don't get a lot of them. Those are That's those, the problem. That's the show your wife saw. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the show my wife saw. Everything was just laying there, and I was just filling up the basket. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. And it's true, too. Like, you know, as you're watching the show, like tonight, I don't know how many comments we're going to have on the show, six to ten, I don't know. But it could be ten to thirteen. could be that much, right? <clears throat> so I've got an idea of the jokes I want to do. Right. Because I haven't, you know, heard that set, and I'm going to, re- you know, just record audio so I can, like, work on some bits. But, you know, if somebody gets up there and they can't. Right. Even if they get close to the premise or close to the topic, I'm like, oh, I might just let that sit and put something else in there. So... Sometimes right before, I mean, this is, I'm sure it's happened to you, like my opening joke or my opening bit that I'm planning on doing, right as I'm getting ready to go into the room, the guy before me is closing on something that feels enough similar to me that I won't do it. And I've had, you know, make those adjustments and that was what I was going to open with. So now you got to kind of go to opener number two or opener number three. And that's the thing. You have to have other things to do. And the thing, that's why I'm real big on that. Any show that I'm at, that I'm on, I have to watch every comic. I have to watch. I want to see, number one, because I love watching comedy, because I love to watch, especially if somebody's really good. I, mean, I just love to watch it. It's, I, I laugh. I'm, you know, that's the whole idea. But a lot of times, somebody will do something that it's close enough to what you do, but it's far enough away that you can actually do a callback right. to their show. And it's like, I love to watch an audience. When you're doing a callback, a couple callbacks to somebody else's show, and they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's not, you're yeah. not doing the same bit. You're you're taking it from that point on or whatever. And it's just really fun because I think the audience appreciates that, that it makes it more of, of a show. It make, Yeah, it makes it a, a real live experience. <clears throat> yeah. Because you didn't plan on doing it before the show. Right. They realized that you incorporated that. I had a chance to do that recently on a TV taping. And I, mm-hmm. and I knew the three of us were going to be on the same episode. And the guy right before me just had this thing about um, his daughter's nightlight catching on fire and he had called the fire department and then she just kind of blew it out you know right and i have this one thing where i take my son's nightlight out and i'm saying you're too big for this now so i was like you know you're too big for this plus this could cause a lot of trouble you know (laughs) and it's got it's got as many lapses for behind the stage as it did in front but it's one of those things like hey that was just a gift it was right there right and i really didn't plan on that when i went on stage but i kind of i'm like oh he just talked about a nightlight right sometimes it's and it's i think it's fun i mean you know i don't want to one of the biggest things that I fight, having done this for so long, is the fact that when you're booking, people just go, oh, you're one of these guys that's been around for 35, 40 years. So you're probably doing the exact same thing. I was like, no, my show changes all the time. Because they've seen too many of these guys that, like we're talking about getting lazy, where somebody hasn't changed a word I know. for 15, 20 years. And I look at them, I go, I understand it works. Right. <clears throat> but aren't you bored? Don't you want to do something else? Don't I mean, didn't you see? It's like you're putting on blinders and covering up your ears so you don't see or hear anything that's funny. Yeah, because that might interrupt with your show. Right, and there's like to them they're in a little safe place, but it's probably the most unsafe place you can be yeah. is to not change and adapt and grow. I mean, the growth of it. I mean, you started out in music, so you were an artist. You know, right? You wrote your own songs, and when you get to comedy, like. Could you imagine being a band and not have put out a new album in 10 years and well, do the same? I hate to say it, but it's like <clears throat> what's really big now these days is you see all these uh, tribute bands. Okay, and these guys are like they're in these bands for years and years and years. Okay, number one, you didn't even write the songs. Right. And you can't change the notes. You can't change the words. You can't do anything because people are coming to hear that exact song. That would bore me to tears. Yeah. I mean, that would just make me, you're playing the exact same thing. 
night after night after night after night after night. I'm like, oh my god! I know when you can be replaced by automation, <clears throat> or, yeah. or by a jukebox. You right. know, that's the great thing about comedy is, you know, like you said, even the shows that aren't going well, right? Like when you find your way to dig out of it, the whole crowd is there with you, and they're like, oh, yeah. oh hey, this is now we got something, right? And and crowds, you know, I feel that they're less patient than before. Maybe they are, maybe they're not, but when they see something authentic and real happen, it's neat because everybody's plugged in and everybody's digital and the live experience is the last thing we really have. Right. Well, that's why, I mean, it's, it's funny how many young people that'll come to, you know, come to a show and they, they'll come up and they go, well, the reason we're here is because we watched you on YouTube, you know, and inevitably they'll come up after the show and I say, what'd you think of the show? And they're like, it's just so much better. I said, right, because you're here. Right, right. It's not that, you know, it's, again, it's not that, that I'm any good or anything. None of that means, but it's the live experience. And I, my mantra of the last, I don't know how many years, has been when you go to a live show, you are seeing a unique experience. You are seeing something that will never happen like that ever again because it's the, it's the energy of the crowd. It's the crowd. It's the room. It's the night. It's the pacing. It's, everything changes. Yeah. And you know, you've done three shows in a night. Every show's different. Yeah. Because, and you can be doing the same material. It doesn't make a difference. But every show is different because it, it's unique because it's for that crowd. And that's what I tell people. I got so much better life. Don't want, you, know, you can watch it if you want on YouTube. But understand when you walk into the room, right. there's an energy there that you don't get off of YouTube. You don't get off of, you know, watching it on your phone or whatever. Yeah. That's, what, that's the great thing about comedy. That's why the clubs are still here in one shape, form, or another, you know? Right. Well, um, as we head out, uh, now we've talked about writing and, and keeping writing up and, you know, taking gigs to get better. Can you give me a do and a don't for young comics that are listening, you know, outside of what we talked about already? Or, or maybe even just like a an inside Charlie's head tip of how, how you've survived this long and, and kept it fun. I, you know what? Uh, the biggest thing I do, young comics, because I go to, <clears throat> you know, a lot of clubs still do, uh, not, uh, not as many as should, but a lot of clubs still do kind of an open mic night. And I go to them, because I'm usually closing them, and they're like, you don't have to be here till 9.30. No, I'll be here at 7, you know, because I want to watch the other comics. They're like, it's open micers. I go, I, thing is, you can learn something from anybody. Right. So one of my favorite things, I was watching uh, an open mic one night, and there was a comic on stage. And, you know, I'm not really paying attention to the material. I'm watching the comic. And he was doing something with his hand that was one of the most irritating things I've ever seen in my life. And I was going to tell him, I go, you know, that's unbelievably irritating when you do with your hand. And as I watched him, I realized, I do that. I was like, oh, my God, that's really irritating. Yeah. <laughs> and I so I stopped doing it. And I said, what I try to tell young comics is get rid of anything that's a distraction. Because I see young comics go up, they get their <clears throat> phone and all this stuff in their pockets, in their front pockets. Well, you know, while they're on stage and I'm staring at, I'm staring at this lump yeah. in their pocket. There was a comic one night, a guy goes, oh, what'd you think of my show? I go, get rid of the gum. He goes, that's all you have to say? Yeah, get rid of the gum, it's a distraction. I said, I couldn't even pay attention to what you're doing because I'm watching you chew gum. Right. Get rid of the distractions. You, the thing is, comedy, I love it. It's a wonderful job. But it's the hardest job in the world to work because everything takes away from it. Every, every, you don't want distractions. You want people to focus on what you're saying. And if you're taking anything away from that, then you're taking away from your own show. That's so good. That's always, it's like make it, make it as easy for them to laugh as you can. Right. You know, that's give it to them. Spoon feed them. That's what you're supposed to do. That's it. You know, that's excellent. So. I'm going to leave it right there. Thanks again, Charlie. My pleasure. <laughs> 
Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Charlie Weiner, a guy who's been around the block a few times and still keeps circling the block. Maybe because he's looking for a parking spot, maybe because he's headed to a gig. Very funny guy, and has some good stories in there, and it was a great time just catching up with him. I hadn't seen him probably in 15 to 17 years, so that's the other side of comedy that's kind of fun. Is Once you meet somebody, you're, you're buddies for life, man, and you might take 17 years before you see him again, and you pick up right where you left off. And uh, that was a fun conversation. Uh, again, thanks to Bishop Donaldson for supporting the podcast through Patreon. If you don't know what that is, you just started listening. Uh, Patreon is a way you can support the podcast with a small, recurring monthly donation, as little as you like or as much as you like. Anything over $7, you get in, uh, $7 per month, that is, you get invited to Club 52, which is a weekly email to give you uh, tips and tactics and strategies to increase your business as well as your writing and performing techniques. And that's a great deal for seven bucks. All that information in Club 52 is going to be converted into a series of books. So if you miss it now, uh, you'll be paying more for it later and you'll get it later, but you'll get it eventually if you want it. I would love to have you join in though because another bonus of being in Club 52 is having a, a monthly hangout. We used to do it on Google. Now we do it on this thing called Zoom. And if you are a current podcast supporter at 7 bucks a month or more, uh, we'll probably do the next Hangout either on the 15th or 22nd. I'm guessing the 22nd, though, because I just got booked on something uh, on that other week. So uh, keep an eye out on your Club 52 emails for that announcement, and I look forward to talking to those guys and gals at that time. All right, I'm going to leave you with a quick message here from our podcast supporter, our podcast ad sponsor of the month, the Clean Comedy Challenge. The Clean Comedy Challenge invites comedians of all levels to have a chance to work on a real comedy stage with real comedy pros watching and privately critiquing you. It's Eddie Brill, Dwayne Kennedy, Dobie Maxwell, Jimmy Brogan, Dennis Regan. They'll all be on board for these private critiques and seminars. So you don't want to miss out. It's no auditioning, early fee before May 1st. Go to www.cleancomedychallenge.com. When you register, make sure you mention the School of Laughs podcast so I know where you came from. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.